If you would today, open your Bibles to Galatians, the sixth chapter and the fifth verse. Galatians chapter 6 and verse 5. And we're going to continue our study of bearing one another's burdens. Now, one of the reasons we're looking at this is what, how do we live a productive, honorable, good life in the last days? Uh, some people just want to go charge up their credit cards and disappear into the mountains, put on their white sheets and sing, Do Lord Till Jesus Comes. And that's really not what he has called us to do. He has called us to be active and actively involved in, um, uh, in his work, carrying his gospel out to a lost and dying world. He wants us to be part of that. And part of that we find in Galatians chapter 6, in the first five verses, in fact, we could go a little bit farther than that, but but we're not. Is uh, just you're going to reap what you sow. That's six six. That's the way it. That's the way it works. So don't just sow sparingly. Sow bountifully because the Lord's going to bring back uh, bring back to you what you have what you have sown. Now we have been looking at this and seeing the way that we think. Because we are told, if a brother is caught in a trespass, you who are spiritual, restore such a one in a spirit of gentleness. But each of you looking to yourself, lest you too be tempted. So we have to be careful in what we do, but we don't need to run away from somebody that needs help. That's not Christian. If the Lord did that, we wouldn't be saved. The cross still would not have happened. It would have still been a big question mark. But instead, he entered into time and space. He became and took on the form of a bond servant. He became like like us, except on the outward side. But inside, he was fully God, and he displayed himself as fully man, and he was fully man. So that's who the that's who the Lord is, and that's what he did. And he said, "We're supposed to do that. Bear one another's burdens." It says. And puts it in the form of a command. And thus fulfill the law of Christ. The law of the Messiah. So this is important. There's only about a dozen places in the New Testament. It calls it the law of something. And a couple of those are like the law of sin and death. In Romans chapter 8. So there, there are laws that say basically we're lost and we need a savior. And there's other things that tell us what are we supposed to do. The law of love. To love one another is Christ has loved you. So there's there's certain things that we are told to do. And it says uh, back in verse 4 that we have seen, let each one examine his own work. He says, then he'll have reason for boast in regard to himself alone, not in regard to another person. So we have to be careful, but we also have to examine ourselves. We have to look at ourselves and then be willing to help other people out. That's part of the Christian life. Now verse 5 is where we left off. Each one shall bear his own load. And so what is that saying to us? Well before we begin we're going to take just a moment for silent prayer. We can come in front of the throne of grace to find grace and mercy to help in time of need. We can come in front of there if we need to confess any sins. Let's be sure and do that. But let us also just go in and ask that the Holy Spirit will be our real teacher this morning. So we will be able to, to grow the way that we're called to grow. So let's take this moment. Let's pray. <clears throat> Father, again, we thank you for this day, <clears throat> for your love and mercy and grace. We thank you for the blessings and for the test. 
We thank you once again for your word. We thank you for what you have prescribed for us. We thank you for the examples you have described for us. And Father, we just thank you that we have some clarity as to what you would have us do in this time in which we live that would honor and glorify you. Let us have the resolve to do that, for we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Now when we see a passage like like bear one another's burdens and thus fulfill the law of Christ, I've, I've been around long enough that sometimes people grab hold of the one another principles, like love one another, serve one another, accept one another, and they learn how to use them on other people. Now see, those principles are not designed to use and manipulate other people. Those principles are designed for us to use to serve other people. That's what they're designed for. And it's a big difference. Because when we start trying to do things to get something in return, and that is our sole reason for doing things, we're doing it for the wrong reason. We need to be able to, as Christ did, did he pay for the sins of every member of the human race? Well, the Bible says he did. 1 John chapter 2. Propitiation for our sins, not for ours only, but for those of the whole world. So, he paid for all the sins of the world. Does everybody accept his salvation? No, they don't. Does he want them to? Yeah, Brian read 2 Peter 3, 9. He, he doesn't want any to perish, but for all to be saved and come to a full knowledge of the truth. That's who he is. That's because that's what his love desires. But it's also an individual's decision. So whenever we see passages like that, we're not to use them to get to manipulate people to do things for us. We have the opportunity to help people in need. Okay? Especially verse 1, one caught in a trespass. Don't abandon them, but instead gently correcting those who are in opposition. We read that verse at the last uh, part of the last uh, class that was there. So they might escape the snare of the devil. So that's part of the role of a Christian in this life. But what about that? What about verse 5? Why did he put this in there? He says, bear one another's burdens, but what if nobody comes to your help? Do you have an excuse? Are you really a victim? What if nobody is there to help you? He says, each one shall bear... Bastadzo means to pick it up and carry it along with you, his own fortion, his own portion, his own load. Now we saw the first couple of points last week that believers are told to bear the weaknesses of others, not just please themselves. Uh, Romans 15.1 says, We who are strong need to bear the weaknesses of others, of those without strength, and not just please ourselves. So in the Christian life, a Christian life is about giving ourselves away. Philippians 2.3 says to consider other people more important than yourself. Not looking out only for your own interest, but for the interest of others. Now, other scripture tells us don't be a busybody, troublesome meddler. Don't be any of those things. Don't be a gossip that hauls stuff around. But what it is saying <coughs> is that other people need to be more important than us, but we're not to forget us. Because people involved, especially in caregiving, they're going to have to realize that they're giving themselves away. They're trying to help other people who are in need quite clearly, but they have to take care of themselves or they won't be able to do that. 
So there's always a balance. See, the scripture doesn't call us to extremism. It calls us to a tremendous balance to be found in the Christian life. You got to take care of yourself too. Now, believers are also told to bear their own load. And that's here. See, we're not supposed to be victors or victims in this life. Seems like I read a passage somewhere, like 1 John 5, that says, Faith is the victory that overcomes the world. I tracked that through Roman or Revelation chapter 2 and chapter 3, and it's all about facing the difficulties of your time frame and being an overcomer. Okay, so you don't want to be victimized by the time frame that you find yourself in. You want to be an overcomer. And that's what we as Christians are called to be. Was Jesus, could he have claimed victimhood? Think about that. They put him under six tribunals, six, six trials, and nobody could really find him guilty. They just decided to crucify him anyway. Uh, he could have said, oh, I'm a victim. What did he do? He knew that's why he came. But his volition made a decision. I'm going to carry out the Father's plan. Father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me, but not my will, but your will be done. He was an overcomer by submitting to the plan that God had for him. And it was there's no way you could say the cross was pleasant. Not from any situation, physical, psychological, sociological. No way you could say the, the cross was pleasant. But he underwent it so that we would be able to be overcomers by faith. But nobody comes to help. Whenever you really need it, maybe the Lord is saying, all you need is me. Because we're all going to have those periods of time in our life. We're all going to have them. When nobody's got a word that's going to help They'll try, they might love you, they, they care for you, and they offer a word of encouragement or comfort, but nobody's going to be able to help. And we're going to be a lot like David felt at times, totally alone, except for the Lord. I'm sure Moses felt the same thing in that amongst that band of misfits that he had for 40 years out there in the desert. Bear your own load if nobody comes to help. Important principle and point. Not receiving help from others is not a valid excuse. That's the point. If nobody comes to help, you're facing spiritual help. You're facing financial financial needs. You're facing sociological needs. You're facing all these. What if nobody comes to help? Go to the Lord. And it's interesting because sometimes he'll answer the prayer quickly. And sometimes he won't. Why? Because he knows you better than you do. He knows really what you need better than you do. So if you don't get the help, it's not an excuse. If we become legalistic, well, they should have helped me. They should have helped me. This has happened many times over the course of history. We're going to bear our own discipline. Galatians 5:10 says, I have confidence in you and the Lord that you will adopt no other view, but the one who is disturbing you shall bear his judgment, whoever he is. Now, <clears throat> context of Galatians is legalism. 
5.1, he set us free. Keep standing firm. Don't be subject again to a yoke of slavery. So it's about freedom or liberty that we have in Christ. Verse 13 in chapter 5, don't turn your freedom into an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. You have the freedom to do what you want to do. Don't make it an opportunity for the flesh. But what's been the problem in Galatia? Well, the Judaizers have came in. They have entered into the church, and they have decided that uh, the new church members, the new believers, the Gentiles, who have not been circumcised according to the law of Moses, need to be circumcised according to the law of Moses. Interesting. Now, this caused problems in the church, to say the least. And so Paul is writing about such a legalistic practice. It didn't save Abraham. He goes on to point that out in Galatians and in Romans, the fourth chapter. And he's, he's talking about what saved Abraham. Look at the chronology of his life. Genesis 15, 6, Abraham had believed God and it was imputed to him righteousness. When was he told to be circumcised? Genesis 17. So after Abraham was already saved... Then he was told to be circumcised. So how did circumcision save anybody? It didn't. It was an after-the-fact thing. And especially when it was done to a child eight days old, according to the law. And they had no say in the matter whatsoever. Just was something their parents decided to do. It was actually a test of their parents. Are you going to bring them up and train them in the ways of the Lord, according to the Abrahamic covenant? to the Jews. How are, you, how are you going to do it? Now, if we become legalistic, then uh, guess what? We're going to bear our own discipline. That's the load we're going to get to carry. And it's amazing how we were talking about legalism for church this morning. A lot of people like legalism because it gives them an air of security. And if I've got all these laws that I can evaluate my spiritual life by, whether they're biblical or not, and if they're biblical, we're supposed to do them. If they're not biblical, we're not bound to them. The Jews even today claim that Jesus could not have been the Messiah because he violated their traditions. Even today, Mark 7, they were trying to get after him because the disciples ate with unwashed hands. That was a tradition of the elder not found in the Mosaic law. What they had added to it. And he refused to be bound by them. And so these legalisms offer some security. The Sabbath day's journey being one of them. The washing of hands being another one. And they thought by following all those legalisms they were either spirit, either saved or spiritual. Now <clears throat> when we receive help from others it should not lead to relying on them instead of the Lord. What happens if you're on the receiving end? Uh, psych psychologists, psychiatrists have given it a term. They call it codependency. One person helps another person, and they become codependent on, on someone else. Oftentimes, it's a very unhealthy relationship, most of the time, in fact, because I'm gaining my significance and security from the way another person treats me. What's wrong with that picture? My significance is the fact that I'm a believer in Jesus Christ and I'm in Him. 
I am now part of the royal family. I am now a royal priest to God. I am now called a son of God, an adopted son of God. I received over 50 things. That should be significance enough, right? How about security? Well, I'm in the hand of the Father, and nobody can take me out of his hand. It doesn't get any more secure than that. So how can we find this in people? We, We should not be relying on people instead of the Lord to provide for us our significance or our security. As believers, we may be privileged enough to get to carry some brand marks of the Lord on our person. Interesting uh, picture about bearing your own load. All you do is you track the track the word through different verses and you let the verses tell you what we're supposed to know. Galatians 6.17, let no one cause trouble for me, because I bear. I bastadzo, bear one another's burden, same word. <clears throat> I bear on my body the brand marks of Jesus. Now, 2 Corinthians, again, I just went through it this last week. We just got it on the website. And Paul gives a description in chapter 6 that will absolutely blow you away. 2 Corinthians 6. Because he's talking in chapter 4 and 5 about the outer man is decaying, the inner man is being renewed day by day. Chapter 5, we have to stand in front of the judgment seat of Christ. We see that and we get to chapter 6. And Paul is defending, if you will, his ministry. And he's saying, I just want you to take a look at the way things really have been and really are. Again, he's got the prophets And those are the gift of discerning of spirits that they can evaluate what he says. And he said, this is what I have underwent. And the false apostles haven't underwent any of this. And he goes on to list all the things that had happened to him before 56 AD. His life's not over yet. But the list of things in there, five times I received 39 lashes. Night and a day I've spent in the deep. I've been in constant danger from my countrymen, from robbers, from people along the way. And yeah, when you receive stripes because the religious authorities didn't like what you did, those are kind of brand marks, aren't they? Didn't Jesus get some of those? If I remember, he sure did. And he says, I bear it in my body, the brand marks of Jesus I've been through what he's been through now that really is a privilege do we think do we see things that way we we really as humans seek our creature comforts and things that get out of the creature comfort realm we don't like we don't want anything to do with it but read through the book of Acts chapter 4 Peter and John are going to the temple to pray and they get caught by the Sanhedrin And what they decided to do, they went to the Sanhedrin. The Sanhedrin said, you stop doing miracles in the name of Jesus. And they said, we can't stop doing that. It's not our choice. And they ended up with Gamaliel, one of Paul's teachers, an interesting guy. I think we might see him in heaven. I think he may have figured it all out. He was a teacher of Pharisees, and he was was really sharp. And he says, why don't you just people, if this is not of God, <clears throat> it's going to die of its own. It's going to fall apart. And he gave a couple of examples. He said, if it is of God, you're fighting against God and you got a problem. 
And so the Sanhedrin and all their wisdom decided that they would give them lashes and send them on their way and tell them not to do it again. But they stood their ground. Peter was a little different than he'd been just not too many years earlier when he was walking with Christ. It is a privilege if that happens to us. And maybe we should realize that the worse things get around this planet, it could, it could happen. Taking on Christ's yoke makes the load lighter. He says, my yoke is easy. And my load, my fortion, that which I've got, like carrying the wheelbarrow, he said, it's light. It's light. What does he mean by that? Uh, he went through a pretty heavy load, didn't he? Obeying the will of God is the lightest load you can carry through this life. When you start thinking about it that way, I'm going to be obedient even if it causes me pain. And if, if it causes me pain, it's still the best thing I could possibly do with my life. We talk to people around the world in persecuted countries. By the way, in November, first Sunday in November is the uh, International Day of Prayer for the Persecuted Church. And we'll be talking about that a little bit more. But it is, it is so important because most of the people you see on that back board back there are in persecuted areas. We're dealing with some now, and to tell you the truth, it's hard to get any communication in and out of some of these places. It's, uh, it is not easy. And with all this great technology that we have, with all this great technology, there are people who surveil it. Nope. <laughs> we have a friend over in Southeast Asia received a call by mistake from uh, another country. And the police showed up at his door the next day. By mistake. Now, we haven't gotten that far yet, but the technology is there. When you can put uh, close to 2 billion people under such a mess like that, and you can handpick a conversation on a telephone, that's where it is. Should we be afraid of it and be victims? No. Be overcomers. Be all we trust on the Lord. Put on the Lord's yoke. Don't be afraid to, to give the gospel of Christ. Beware of those who want to give you loads to carry. They won't carry themselves. Because see, this is what the legalists do. It's also what a lot of uh, liberal theologians do. They give you more than you can carry. But they don't carry it themselves. Matthew 23.4 They tie up heavy loads. Matthew 23, first 11 verses, Christ is trying to get the disciples to see that the argument that, that, that they should have among themselves is not who's the greatest, but who's the servant. That's those first 11 verses. Before he goes into, woe to you scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, that's Matthew 23. And he's talking about the Pharisees. And I think about the scribes and the Pharisees and the hypocrites. Do we have any of those in our society today? Scribes are attorneys. Attorneys, many of which, and attorneys are needed. I don't want to make a lump statement about all attorneys, like Larry the Cable guy said 99% of them give the rest a bad name. 
There's, there's more than that that are good attorneys. And <clears throat> they're good attorneys because they handle stuff that you can't handle. Uh, handling a, a real estate transaction right now uh, is very difficult, especially if there's a loan involved. If all it is is a as is, and that's purely as is, and that's the way it is, that's a little different thing. But you still need an attorney to draw up a contract and to see it's executed properly. So they're, they're needed for various things. But there are attorneys that take and twist the law around. And that's what their objective is. The ACLU is one of that group of attorneys founded by communists to begin with. And they are ones that twist around the uh, laws that we should have. They try to take them and, and uh, uh, make a mockery of it. And so I th- I, and that's what the scribes are. What do you attorneys? Pharisees. How about people making laws outside of their of their sphere of authority? Maybe that's the legislatures in some states. Do we need speeding laws? Yeah, we need speeding laws. But when they start telling me how much food I can grow in the backyard, when they start telling me what kind of cars I have to drive, when they start telling me all those other things they've gone beyond, Pharisees, because that's what the Pharisees did. Hypocrites means they're not subject to their own laws. And I can think of things like windmills. Some people like to see those big windmills. But what they have shown is that they don't provide the electricity that they were called to provide. They just don't do it. And as we go off across western Oklahoma, I went to school out in western Oklahoma. And it was a nice place, the rolling hills that go out through there. It wasn't a windmill to be seen anywhere. And now you head out towards Amarillo, and it's windmill after windmill after windmill after windmill that's out there. And it does kill birds. It's interesting that they want to watch over and protect the environment, but they don't care how many birds it kills in the process. So it's all hypocrisy that is, that is there. So, scribes, Pharisees, and hypocrites, do we have any of those today? We still do. They're not just wearing Jewish religious clothing at all. They're all over the place. That's what they did. It says, they tie up heavy loads. They lay them on men's shoulders. But they themselves are unwilling to move them with even so much as a finger. They're going to get other people to carry their loads one way or another, and it's all of these, all of these burdens. It's find out somewhere. You know, there are places that they don't want those windmills because they affect the beauty of the place that they live in, and they fight to get it. Strange that the, I think the average price per house is ten to fifteen million dollars there, but they don't want any of those offshore on any of their places. So, uh, yeah. But you can put them all over the Midwest in those flyover states because we're not gonna we're not gonna be there to watch them. First windmill farm I saw was in South India back about 15 years ago, and it was the second largest one in the world at the time, and it was right down near Cape Cormoran, which is the southernmost tip of India, and you're driving for miles, and you can see windmills for miles on both sides of the road. And what you saw was windmills that were broken down and not working. 
Hmm. How much good were they doing? Not much at all. <clears throat> Beware of those that want to give you loads that they're not willing to carry themselves. Remember, from the other side of the coin, you might complete your race with a heavy load of gold, silver, and precious stones. Ooh. That's what we want, isn't it? Although gold is just going to be paving material in eternity, it is still set in front of us as something worth having. Silver. Gold is a picture of deity. And this is a picture of the judgment seat of Christ and what happens there. Whenever we show up, there's this great big fire going, and wood, hay, and stubble, gold, silver, and precious stones. Wood, hay, and stubble is the stuff that, that was the human good that we did. It wasn't necessarily wrong, except we did it with a wrong attitude. It becomes really apparent as you go through the Bible, paying attention to it, they were to do all things for the glory of God, like 1 Corinthians 10:31 spells out. Do all things for the glory of God. So if I want to go help somebody, and I do it so they'll thank me, uh, is that for the glory of God or for the glory of me? That's wood, hay, and stubble, folks. That's what it is. There's some stuff. The wood takes longer to burn. The hay a little less time and the stubble is what you start fires with and that's this useless stuff that's not defined as a sin but it is the stuff that we just wasted our time doing gold is about deity and I think that points us to the fact we did it because of the Lord God Almighty gold's a picture of deity silver points us to redemption to point what he did to did for us he redeemed us. He bought us with the price. We are fearfully and wonderfully made, and he has provided for that. And that's the stuff we did because of what he did for us. That's just simple payback, isn't it? And what about precious stones? We find the precious stones starting back on the breastplate of the high priest. And so I see precious stones, and I look at that, and I go... Looks like it's got something to do with our priesthood. And you say, what about our priesthood? What do we do in our priesthood? Well, that's a separate study all to itself. But Hebrews 13, verse 15 and 16, continually offer up a sacrifice of praise. Let us not neglect doing good and sharing, for with such sacrifices God is pleased. And here we are as priests offering up a sacrifice of praise. And thankfully, it's just got to be uh, make a joyful noise unto the Lord. We can get together and sing, or you can sing at your house. You don't have to be with a group to praise the Lord through song. It needs to be a spiritual song. That's what it tells us. But we don't have to be with a group in order to do that. You can praise the Lord all by yourself in your shower if you want to. Sometimes we sound better there. At least other people say we do whenever we're, we're there. But this, this praising of the Lord, am I trying to praise the Lord to show off my voice? That is wood, hay, and stubble. Right? Depending on what degree you want to do it to, you, you want to show off your voice that's what you want to do. You want to make people think about how great you are and all that. But if you go there because I'm going to sing shout to the Lord because of who he is. 
and what he has done for me. And this is part of my priesthood. That's the real deal. That's what stays after the fire. That's what stays. Whenever we want to help somebody just purely for helping them, not expecting or demanding anything back in return. Now, there are business transactions. We all know about those. That's fine and good as part of doing doing uh, uh, just part of living in this world. And if we do these things in order to serve other people, then we're still good there. The things you do, business transactions, you treat them fairly. You don't uh, treat them unjustly. You give them a fair product for fair price. There's a lot of things that go, go into that. And so those things, too, conducting an honorable business can be gold, silver, and precious stones. But it can also be uh, we're here to serve and protect. That's all we're here to do, and it's just a front. It's a marketing ploy. If that's it, wood, hay, and stubble. That's all it is. See, we have an opportunity to have all this gold, silver, and precious stones, and a lot of us do their attitude. Why, why are we doing it? Who are we doing it for? Now, solid biblical relationships are based on getting our eyes off the sins of others while helping restore their spirituality considering the grace that has been given to us. Trying to help other people get our eyes off the sin get our eyes off the sins of others and to say each one looking to yourself lest you too be tempted while helping restore their spirituality Okay, restore such a one in a spirit of gentleness, each one looking to yourself. How do we do that? Every one of us are only what we are by the grace of God. I am what I am by the grace of God, nothing else. He permitted me in whatever condition this is to get here by his grace and only by his grace. Now, <clears throat> Galatians is not the only place that teaches this. We're taught to look out and care for other people. And the book of James addresses the role of the individual and the process of restoration. And so now we're in James chapter 4. And we're just going to look at the first 10 verses in James chapter 4. Because we find that... um, How many notes do you have on this? How far does this go? Huh? You have C, D, and E? That's what I thought. Okay. James chapter 4, in verse 1, James asks a question, then he answers it with a rhetorical question. I find that interesting. Paul does the same thing. He asks a question and he answers it. Probably because the Holy Spirit knows we're not smart enough to figure it out sometimes without getting the answer to it. It's uh, quite interesting. I've taught a lot of things, and sometimes you ask a question, you get an answer. They go, where did that come from? (laughs) Never thought about it. And sometimes it's very good, the answer, and it gives you a better understanding. But James 4.1 says, What is the source of quarrels and conflicts among you? Is not the source your pleasures that wage war in your member members? So, at issue is the desires of men or women, humanity in general. 
So that's what's at issue. What is the source of the quarrels and conflicts among you? Now, isn't that about a person that maybe has been caught in a trespass? Too, there have been quarrels and and fights among people. The pleasures are the the desires. We have desires as human beings that we want fulfilled, and sometimes they don't get fulfilled. A man would like his wife to be sure the toilet paper comes over the top, and she thinks it needs to go under the bottom. Okay? That's all a desire. I have no biblical guidance as to which way a toilet paper is supposed to come off a toilet paper roll. Okay? Some like towels, paper towels, that you can't hardly get unstuck, and others like paper towels that are easy to unroll and use. And people fight about it. Now, he says, isn't it your pleasure? Isn't it what you want? <laughs> the way war in your members? Unfulfilled expectations or desires is some of the biggest headaches that we have as human beings. We want it done a certain way at a certain time, and that's the way we want it done. And if you don't get it done, I'm going to get mad at you. Well, huh. this is central in our role in, in, in the resolution of the angelic conflict. How are we going to respond whenever things don't go our way? And James is addressing that question. He then lists four of the pleasures of humanity and the results of such pleasure. From James chapter 4, verses 2 and 3. He says, You lust and you do not have, so you commit murder. Now this is kind of going to the end all be all. And you think, well, I've never really murdered anybody in my life. But sometimes haven't we thought about it? Because somebody doesn't do things the way that we want them to do. So... Uh, you lust and you don't have so you commit murder because to hate your brother is to murder him in his heart that's what the scripture tells us Uh, you're envious and you can't obtain somebody's coming down the road in a new testarossa and you just would love to have that car some of us are, are so old and decrepit we think we could get into it once have a real good drive if we want it somewhere and then sell it because we don't want to get in and out of it all all the time but envious so you fight and quarrel and who do we fight and quarrel with usually <clears throat> over envy God God I want that well you can't have it but I need it you can't have it maybe it's never maybe it's not now maybe it's sometime We don't know what his answer is there. But we get really mad when we don't get our way. He says, you don't have because you do not ask. Oh, I love this because this is a verse the name it and claim it crowd will take. Okay, I'm going to ask it. I'm going to claim it. I'm going to believe it. I'm going to make it happen. That's not what that word ask means. (laughs) It's a word that means to ask from an inferior to a superior. That's a big difference, isn't it? So you humbly ask. Now some of us can get really good at playing like we're humble. Can't we? We come with a long face. We work on it. Doesn't fool God 
one bit. <laughs> you don't have because you don't ask humbly. Now that's just one reason that the Lord will give things according to his timing. But you have to come humbly in front of the throne of grace. Now when you come in front of the throne of grace, say, Lord, I really need that testerosa. I have been a humble individual and I would really like for you to provide this for me. And he's going to nudge Peter and go, yeah, right. Now, <clears throat> he says, you ask and do not receive. He goes on to explain it here, verse 3. Because you ask it with the wrong motives. Say, who judges the thoughts and intents of the heart? The word of God is alive and powerful. It judges the thoughts and intents of the heart. The Lord judges the thoughts and intents of the heart. He knows what's behind it all. We will never fool him. So if we really need it, yeah, he wants us to ask. But he knows what we need before we ask. But he still wants us to ask. That's the, that is the plan that he has put out. He says, he, you ask with the wrong motive so you can spend it on your own pleasures. Lord, I want you to bring me all this money and I'll be sure and give some of it to you. Sometimes that's the lead in. Okay, that's the lead in, trying to get him off base just a little bit so he'll go ahead and give it to you and then you can do what you want to with it. And he knows what we're going to do with it. If he provides it, how many people prayed to win the lottery? Well, he knows... <laughs> What was that show? Crazy show where Jim Carrey became God for a day or something like that. And he answered that prayer. Everybody wanted to win the lottery, so he decided to answer it. And answer all those prayers, and everybody got a dollar and a half or something after it was split up over, <laughs> over two billion people or whatever it was. So it didn't do any good. See, they asked with the wrong motives, and he wasn't God, so he didn't figure it all out. He said, but the Lord knows what happens. See, lust and not received, so a person commits murder. That's what this is saying. You really want something, you don't get it, and it's easily for the mental attitude to go the wrong way. Now, sadly, in a lot of countries around the United States and the world, they just go kill somebody. You know, but he's addressing primarily believers here. It's envious and do not get, so one fights and quarrels about something <clears throat> a desire to have but not ask you don't dare go, you don't take it in front of the Lord you just want it and it drives you nuts that you don't have it kind of like oh you want another touchdown last night <clears throat> or two and then you ask but you don't get it because you ask with the wrong motives James is real practical the result of these uh, the result of these de desires is a hostility toward God, because a person's become a friend of the world. When all we want is to satisfy our own cravings and longings in this world, we're a friend of the world. James 4:4. 4, 4. You adulteresses, <clears throat> do you not know that friendship with the world is hostility toward God? This adultery is not of the sexual kind in this particular passage. It could include that, but it's talking about people who compromise the truth for sordid gain, who compromise the truth for, for, the, 
for uh, uh, wrong reasons, which they're all don't compromise the truth. He says, therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. So if we're going to live in the world and be a friend of the world, and that's all we want is the fame, fortune, power, and pleasure that comes from the world, and that's all we want, we're a friend of the world. And we're not a friend of God. And God's already given us all that. As mentioned, all the fame we'll ever need. Fortune, how about eternal life? Things that a lot of people with a lot of money have tried to buy before. You can't buy it. We've got it. Power. Well, let's see. The one that lives inside of me and then I live inside of created the world and everything in them. That's plenty of power. Now, he is omniscient, so he's not going to give us con control of that. And pleasure. That's amazing what people will go through, what lengths to, have to get pleasure. <clears throat> God desires the fellowship of a relationship. James 4, 5. See, this, is, this life is about adjusting our thinking to His, where we learn to think, speak, and do in ways that are pleasing to Him. James 4, 5 says, Do you think that the Scripture speaks to no purpose? He jealously desires the Spirit that he's made to dwell inside of us. Hmm. We are in Christ, the moment of salvation. The Holy Spirit is in us at the moment of salvation. The Father and the Spirit want this fellowship to go on without interruption from us. Now, is that good for us or bad for us? Does that turn, in, turn us into a robot? Or nothing? No. That's where life is really found. That's where it's really found. And you don't have anything past D, right? Point D, huh? We got E, alright. So he gives grace beyond salvation that is designed to bring down arrogance. This arrogance thinks, I don't need God, I can do it without Him. I can achieve everything that I want to achieve. I can lust after things I can and desire it and all this. I can be envious about certain things. And I can make myself happy. We can't do that. James 4.6 says he gives a greater grace. Therefore, it says, God is opposed to the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. The greater grace. Some have called that super grace. That's where that title came from, the verse that it came out of, for any of you that have, that have heard that. But see, this greater grace is so we can do what? Get rid of our arrogance. That's what it's for. It is a grace beyond salvation so that we can get out of the way of the Father and Holy Spirit communicating with each other and cluing us in on it. Because sometimes we wonder, what is the Lord up to? And usually it's because we're not walking with Him. We are not walking in a manner worthy of Him. And sometimes we don't even care about it, walking in a manner worthy of our calling. But He gives us grace so we can get the arrogance out of us. And uh, not an easy thing to do. We are hard-headed people. Arrogance means to be puffed up. 
It's just like somebody gets a pat on the back and the, the chest puffs out. That's where the word came from. That's where the word for arrogance came from, is to inflate yourself without cause. Now, what does God think? He's opposed to that. But he gives grace to the humble. And sometimes we need the air knocked out of us to have a little humility in our souls. But what does this say? He gives it to the humble. Like he gives wisdom to those who ask. Without any doubting. James 1.5 That's who he gives it to. He gives grace to us. So when we get beat up a little bit, he gives us this grace. And then in verses 7 to 10, he gives ten commands that contain three promises. Verse 7 to 10 <clears throat> Submit therefore to God. Resist the devil. And a promise he will flee from you. Draw near to God. Command. And he will draw near to you. Another promise. Some people say, well, God's far off. Well, where have you gone? He's not gone anywhere. Draw near to him. And he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners. Purify your hearts, you double-minded. Be miserable and mourn and weep. And let your laughter be turned into mourning and your joy into gloom. Obviously, your laughter over the wrong stuff needs to change. And your joy over the wrong stuff needs to change. Humble yourselves. In the presence of the Lord. See where he picked up the, the, the information in verse 6 and verse 10. Humble yourselves in the presence of the Lord. And another promise. He will exalt you. We want to be exalted, raised up, lifted up. Have the resources to handle anything that comes in this life. And to do it with honor and integrity and character. Requires humility. We're going to look at these Next week, we're going to look carefully uh, at these ten items, not overdoing them, but giving a further explanation of what these are about. We'll let the Scripture tell us what these are about. Submit to God. Resist the devil. Draw near to God. What do these things mean? And we're going to look at the words to let let them tell us that. Let's pray. Father, thank you again for all your wondrous grace. Thank you for your marvelous word. Thank you for the instructions that you give to us. And once again, Father, pointing out that arrogance is not anything that you uh, that you embrace and appreciate. In fact, you're opposed to it. So, Father, I pray that, that we will decide to humble ourselves as you've told us to do. And, Father, we pray that if not, you'll just You'll whack on us till we do, because we know that is what your will is. So, Father, I pray that your hand will be with us as we leave here this week. I pray you'll give us opportunities to witness to others about your amazing grace. I pray that you'll show us what you would have us to do in various situations. I ask that if you give us people to minister to, that we won't, won't be afraid of it, but we will utter a prayer for wisdom 
and then we will engage as you have provided the opportunity. So, Father, we come to you and ask that you would bless our steps this week so that you get the glory. For we ask it in Jesus' name, amen.